Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today we're going to be talking about genetic testing and genealogy for adoptees. This has been a very popular topic with our audience, and I think you're going to love it as well. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. One thing that I do recommend people do is go to the Association of Professional Genealogists website, which is apgen.org. And you have the ability there to search by specialty, and you can select genetic genealogy. And just to be clear, not all genetic genealogists on that website do adoption work. So you'd have to go to their website. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We are the national adoption and infertility education and support nonprofit. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our weekly e-newsletter. We would we'd let you know about the latest developments in adoption as well as the new resources we've added to our site each week, uh, including the uh, upcoming week's blog and show topics so that you can submit your questions for the show in advance. Uh, to sign up, and we'd love to have you sign up, you can go to our website, creatingafamily.com, in the top right corner of any page there, sign up and join us. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. If you're struggling with infertility, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. For comprehensive resources, including infertility information, treatment options, and ways to save, you can go to their website, faringfertility.com. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen with the gener- without the generous support from our gold sponsors, who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas, providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We also have Nightlight Christian Adoption. In 1997, they founded the first embryo adoption program in the world, and they named it Snowflakes Embryo Adoption. Now more than 450 snowflake, snowflake babies have been born as a result of direct embryo donation through the Snowflakes program at Nightlight Christian Adoptions. And we also have Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague-accredited adoption agency, placing waiting children from around the world, offering home study and post-adoption services to residents of North Carolina and New York. I'll tell you about some more of our wonderful gold sponsors later in the show. But I also wanted to say, in addition 
to these gold sponsors, we also have other sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an adoption service provider, please consider choosing one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, just a host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And by using these directories, you support those who support us. And we thank you. Today we're going to be talking about genetic testing and genealogy for adoptees. Our guests today are Richard Hill. He is a genealogist. He is also with, I, Richard, I, did, uh, uh, I didn't write it down in the correct place. Could you tell us uh, really quickly the name of your organization? Uh, my website is dnatestingadvisor.com. Okay, so DNA testing advisor. I wrote it in the wrong place, and not in uh, the, the where I'm uh, the notes I'm reading from right now. He is. Uh, I think I also mentioned he's also the author of Finding Family: My Secret for Roots and the Sec- My My Search for Roots and the Secrets in My DNA. We also have. Uh, Bethany Waterbury, she is a genealogist with Next of Kin Research. And last but not least, we have Cece Moore. She is a genealogist with The DNA Detective. She is also a speaker and a teacher of genetic genealogy. So let me welcome you all to Creating a Family. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. All right, I want to start. We were going to have uh, an adoptee who I've spoken with in the past who told me such an interesting story. He had a medical uh, emergency coming up, came up this morning, and he was unable to join us. His name is John. And the story he had was uh, a number of years ago he signed up. He was an, an, an adoptee in a closed adoption. And his son, uh, his, when he was a toddler, had an epileptic seizure. And he was uh, then became very curious about his own medical history because one of the questions that the doctor asked is, is there a family history of epilepsy? And John didn't know the answer to that. So he signed up for Ancestry.com, and then within a very short number of months, <clears throat> he got a phone call from Wales and in the U.K., and uh, this woman, or it may have been an email, it probably was an email, she said, she said she said who she was, and she said, who the hell are you and why? how are we connected? And so he gave his information that he had been adopted, and she was a amateur sleuth and genealogist and was able to, through just a fascinating series of research that she did, narrow down, she was a fourth cousin of his, and she was able to narrow down the section of her family tree. Uh, undoubtedly, it helped that uh, he knew where he had been adopted from, so it was, he, they had a geographic location in the United States. And then through utilizing things such as old yearbooks and newspaper articles, was able to ultimately identify both his birth mother and his birth father, and the and, and John then made contact, was able to get, <clears throat> excuse me, a complete medical history, uh, and then further uh, was able to re, uh, reunite with them and has maintained an ongoing relationship with them both. Um, so uh, it's a fascinating story. And Richard, uh, Richard Hill, you've written a book, uh, Finding Family, My Search for Roots and the Secrets in My DNA. 
And in that book, you talk about your own search. Uh, could you give us a, a the crib note version, a um, uh, a way that you the way that you used genetic testing and genealogy to find your birth uh, uh, parents? Yes, Don. I'd be happy to do that. I was a late discovery adoptee. I did not even know I was adopted until I was 18 years old and the secret slipped out. Well, many years later, I decided to search for my roots, and through conventional means, I was able to identify my birth mother, but she had died a long time before then. So the next part of my mystery was try to identify who my biological father was. And I spent time off and on for 20-some years trying to figure that out without success. Then I ended up hearing about genetic genealogy. And being a male, I had the advantage of having a Y chromosome that passes down directly from father to son, generation after generation. So I did a Y DNA test at Family Tree DNA. And what this did was I ended up getting uh, one very strong match with a man who had a particular surname. And because the surnames pass down from father to son the same way, there's a reasonably good chance that uh, a male adoptee will find out his uh, birth father's surname through this test. So I went through all of my records and found that my mother had been uh, working with a man of that surname. And I, tracked, I tried to track him down. He was deceased, but I found a niece who agreed to help me. Turns out he was one of five brothers. So now I had five suspects instead of one, because they all would have gotten the same Y chromosome from their father. And ultimately, I did autosomal DNA testing, which is like Family Finder from Family Tree DNA. And I also used the 23andMe test. And what I was able to do with that is it measures close relationships. And even though all five brothers were deceased, they all had living children. So I tested a child of each person, and I was able to determine uh, which man was my father because his child shared a lot more DNA with me than the the children of the other men who would be only first cousins to me. So that's, uh, that's basically, in a nutshell, how I solved my mystery. That's fascinating. Well, you raise a, a great question. Um, Cece, and I'm going to direct this to you since you teach in this subject. What is genetic genealogy? I think most of us have probably never heard of that before. Well, it's a newer field, and what it entails is using our own DNA to learn more about our family tree and our genealogy. So it's the intersection of genetics and family tree research. All right, that makes okay, that makes sense. So what are okay, so we're starting with let's start with uh genetic well, let me I'm gonna start with actually a more basic question. What are the main reasons adoptees do genetic testing? Is it to find birth family members or is it to get medical information? And I've received a question from uh Brianna. Brianne, I think. She says this is of great interest topic is of great interest to me as it is one of the topics and client populations which my consultancy, which is Watershed DNA, focuses. My question is, what type of genetic concerns are most pressing for the adoptees with, with which you've spoken? The desire for relationship with genetic family members or access to the health information or a balance of both? 
she says she goes further and says, for me, it is the middle option, which is access to health information. But I have wondered if I'm getting a selected sample of adoptees, and many more have a desire for relationships with um, with their birth family members. Um, Bethany, in your experience, what is the primary motivating factor, if if there is one, uh, for adoptees to want to do genetic testing? I think that both of the, the two options that she said is, is a driving force for most of the adoptees I work with. They are very interested in finding somebody that they are related to to have a relationship with. It's not necessarily their birth parents, but it could be, you know, a half-sibling, an aunt, someone in the family to have a relationship with. I think that, that is definitely a driving force. And I do think health is, is an issue as well. Many people do want to know what their, their medical history is like. And often I hear a lot of people, one of the very first reasons why they do the DNA testing is because they want to see what their ethnicity is. Um, that's one of the nice things that comes up right away in the DNA testing so they can see immediately that they're Irish or they're German or, or some other ethnicity. And so that's, that's another reason why many people do the testing initially. Yeah, and I'm really glad you, you brought that up about ethnicity. I certainly know I've heard from a number of adoptees that one of the things that's interesting to them, and, and so often the information they've been given are, this is of course anecdotal, so it may have you know no, not, may not hold weight from the majority, but uh, the information they have been given uh, as to what their ancestry is, or the the ancestry, or the the ethnicity of their uh, of their birth parents, was not accurate, and it's a uh, a very bizarre feeling to find out that in fact you are Irish when you thought you were Polish. It's a even though it's they're. The people I've spoken with are all here in the United States, so it might not matter fundamentally. It is something about your identity, and it, uh, it, it's a shift and an important shift there in their minds, or in, often in their minds. All right. Can I comment on that? I think Please. that's yeah. really it's so important, and I think what we are really seeing are adoptees with a yearning to learn more about their origins. And they've been oftentimes told a little bit of information but more than anything, they just want to answer some of those identity questions. And you're absolutely correct. It's not just anecdotal. We are seeing many, many people that were given incorrect information about their roots, their ethnicity, their ancestral origins. And so when someone does do a DNA test, they need to be prepared to find things that they don't expect. I'm glad you said that, Cece, because I think you are very right at any time – and we caution adoptees this with search and reunion, regardless of how that search takes place. We can't control what the outcome is going to be, so being prepared. And another point worth making is that the vast majority of adoptions now in the United States have some degree of openness. So it is certainly possible that some of the uh, the total lack of information that was present with closed adoptions will not be the case for this current generation of adopted people. Um, so we can certainly hope that that would be the case for the people who are now children. All right, I want to move now to talking about genetic testing in general because I think most people have heard about uh, a few of the of the big name ones, 23andMe, Ancestry.com, and there are others <clears throat> that. Uh, people are doing, but have no idea really what's involved 
and what you will find out. And sometimes, quite frankly, I think people are expecting they're going to get a lot more information than they will actually get, and sometimes they get more than they think. We have a question from Deborah, and she says, is it worth paying for genetic testing or just taking things as they show up? I think by that she means taking uh, medical things. She is an adoptive parent, I should add. So she's asking, is it worth paying for genetic testing? And then she says, what makes the testing worth having done? Richard, I think, by, again, worth having, I mean, is it worth the cost is my take. For, uh, the, and then uh, let me go ahead and, and read another question from Robin. She says, can somebody please tell me what the benefits and risks are of having genetic tests run? Richard, you want to take a stab at that one? Yeah, I can do that. Are you interested specifically on the medical side, or are you interested in overall? Well, I, at least Deborah was asking specifically medically, but no, I think what we're, at this point, um, let's talk about, let's just say, is it, well, yeah, is it worth for both of those reasons? We will divide the reasons up. So is it worth paying for genetic testing in order to get medical history? Uh, I tell you what, let's let's actually stop a second and talk about what genetic testing is, and then we'll come to that question. What type of genetic tests are available? Now, you've mentioned a couple when you were talking about yours. You did a Y-DNA test and an autosomal test. So what type of genetic testing is currently available, and who's doing it, and what are some of the costs, just roughly? Well, as far as the genetic genealogy tests go, uh, there are three major types. There is the Y-DNA test that I mentioned that only men can do, and that basically traces your direct paternal line because the Y chromosome passes from father to son, generation after generation. There is a mitochondrial DNA test that anyone can take, uh, but we all got our mitochondrial DNA from our mother who got it from her mother. So that represents the direct maternal line. Now, as far as testing for adoptees go, um, that seems like it might be useful because of the uh, ability to find out your birth mother. But in practice, it's probably the least useful. Uh, for one thing, the matches you get may be from common ancestors from hundreds of years ago. And secondly, the maternal line that the surname tends to change every year in our culture, every every generation. So it's uh, far more difficult to find out anything from the maternal uh, line testing. The most popular testing now is autosomal DNA. And that uses the DNA that uh, is a mixture from both of your parents. Uh, you get half from your father and half from your mother. And they got, of course, from their parents and so on. Uh, that way, anybody, men or women, can test, and you can find uh, people who are related to you through any branch of your family tree. So that's by far the most useful one. And there are three major tests. There is 23andMe, Ancestry DNA, and Family Finder, which is the test by Family Tree DNA. The prices... Uh, the 23andMe is the most expensive. It's like $199 uh, or $199 because it also includes some medical reports. The other two normally sell at uh, $99. And you said that the and they do not include medical reports. No, they do not. All right. 
that's a great overview. Now, there is, however, a, another service you can use where you can upload your – well, you download your raw data from the test, and then you upload it to another site, and it's like for $5 you can get a, a, a medical uh, report based on that. It's, a lot of us have used and, uh, and seems to be pretty good. What's the name of that one? Yeah. That's uh, Promethease. Okay. Yeah, somebody has mentioned that in a, in a future question. Okay, and that's uh, you. You get the test and you upload your test results from that. Um, so one of the questions that we received is, how much information do you really get from from a from a medical standpoint, from health information? If that's your primary thing, is this going to be? Is the information from? Let's talk about the autosomal. DNA testing, which are the, is the most popular one, is is what type? How detailed of the information, or is it going to be so general that it could pretty much apply to anyone? Cece? Well, it, there's two aspects of this. There's either testing at 23andMe, where they're actually giving you a health report, or uploading to Prometheus, as we mentioned, and and then there's also determining who the birth family is and learning about their medical history. That yeah, good point. I'm, I'm, let's talk about the first one. I want to circle back to okay. the second one because sure. you're right. If you actually find your birth family, then you're getting specific information. That's a very good point, and I should have made that distinction. At this point, I, I'm, I'm more curious about Definitely. without finding how detailed uh, is the – so let's say you do 23andMe and you get a, uh, a, a health report. Um how much information is it really including? So it's much more limited than it used to be because the FDA cracked down and limited the reports that 23andMe was allowed to uh, report back to us. So at this point, you're getting carrier status. You're finding out if you are a carrier of, say, cystic fibrosis, that type of thing. That can be very important for somebody in their child childbearing years because obviously – whoever they're going to be having a child with also needs to be tested if they have a positive result. As far as Prometheus, you get so much information that it can be very overwhelming. And it's a good idea to hire somebody like Brianne, who had the earlier question of watershed DNA. She's an expert at helping somebody pick through that report and pull out what is really relevant, what could really be important to you, and the things that are maybe not so essential to focus on. So you can get a lot of information, but as I said, it can be overwhelming because there can be so much information, and it can be daunting to many people. So how can Prometheus give detailed information based on a uh, the 23andMe type of t- or, or, or Ancestry.com or Family Finder, any of those? How how are they able to give such detailed just based on your what are they looking at what is what is Prometheus then looking at Bethany? Um, I'm actually going to defer this question back over to Cece because she's much more familiar with the medical side of this. Okay, perfect. Yes, yeah, Cece, then can you help me on that one? Well, the test that we're using tests between six hundred thousand and seven hundred thousand SNPs or genetic markers. And within those, they're looking at gene variants. So if you have a certain gene variant, then you have a higher risk for certain conditions or diseases or health issues. 
And so that's what Prometheus is looking at. It's going through those 600,000 to 700,000 markers and saying which of these is significant to your health or potentially significant to your health. Okay, so it's it's basically just testing your DNA, and then they know from the genome project they they we have some information as to so adopted or non adopted. This yes. would be helpful for anyone. This is not necessarily right. This is it's, yeah, yeah, and it's not just the genome project. There's lots of academic studies out there, and there's more all the time. This is something geneticists and health researchers are working really hard at, and there's new information coming out constantly. So you can spend a lot of time on Google, reading academic papers, learning about different gene variants, and then you can go back and see if those, are, those SNPs or those genetic markers have been tested in these tests that we have from these three companies. And the reason that this would be of interest to an adopted person more so than perhaps to a, uh, someone who has not been adopted would be that people who have not been adopted can look at their family tree, family history of, of diseases, and get some of this information that way. Cece, am I understanding that correctly? Yes. And we do know some people who say it has saved their lives. I mean, is it going to be useful for most people? Well, that remains to be seen. However, there are people that have learned some very important things about themselves, and it has helped a doctor diagnose a certain condition, or it has uh, inspired somebody to go get tested for something specific and learn really important information. So sometimes it's absolutely worth it, I mean, without question. But whether you'll be one of those people or not remains to be seen. I would say you never know until you test. I know of an adult adoptee who... Uh, there was a genetic condition. She had it. She lost her infant son because of, of that, and uh, and she mm-hmm. had it and has suffered uh, significant health consequences, uh, much of which could have been prevented had she known in advance uh, that she had that, uh, had that condition. And here is a comment we received from Karen. She said, I was adopted and have no medical history. I signed up for 23andMe and had their testing done. It was fascinating. Now that I'm doing IVF with my infertility doctor, he asked me for the results. It has been very helpful. Not, not earth-shattering results necessarily, but interesting. So her, um, her reproductive endocrinologist is utilizing her test results um, to try to see if there's a genetic connection perhaps to her infertility. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're talking about genetic testing and genealogy for adoptees. Clout, the online influence ranker, now ranks us as number one online influencer in the areas of adoption. And we're number two or three, depending on the when I'm looking, in the areas of infertility. We primarily hang out at Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, and we'd love to have you join us. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. You can connect with me personally, dawn.davenport1. You can join our Facebook support group. Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash creatingafamily, or you can uh, connect with our Facebook page, which is creating a family, I mean, not creating a family, facebook.com slash creatingafamily. Or, quite frankly, the easiest way is just type in creating a family in the Facebook search box, and you can like the page and join the group. And on Twitter and Pinterest, we are go by the uh, the name at creating a family so you can find us on there. All right. 
Now, somebody does the uh, one of the uh, popular autosomal DNA testings, either through uh, Family Finder, Ancestry.com, or 23andMe, and they get their results. Um, let's see, Bethany, can you tell us how? What would they do? And this is if this is not your area, your area of expertise, then please feel free to uh, pass this off to one of the others, uh, either uh-huh. Richard or Cece. Um, so they have their test results. How do they use this information to get health information? Now, we've mentioned Prometheus, is there, uh, which is, a, uh, by the way, an online, uh, which I believe it is, oh, Prometheus, I think it's Prometheus.com, I believe. I will um, I'll put that in the, uh, when we do a blog on this, I'll, I'll include that information. <clears throat> Other than that, or other than the very limited health information that comes from 23andMe, is there any other way that this information can be used by the average person or the average adoptee to get health information? Um, as Susie mentioned, you know, once we can connect the adoptee with their birth family, we can certainly get some additional medical information that way. Well, we're going to go to that in a minute. I'm going to shift yep. to that about finding birth family members. But this is before, for those people who either are not interested or are want information before they start that search. I'm going to defer this to the other guests to see if they have any other ideas as well. Okay, great. Sorry about that, Bethany. <laughs> All right, Richard, can you uh, help us? Uh, you've mentioned Prometheus. Uh, is, is there any other way that an adoptee can utilize their uh, autosomal uh, DNA testing to find out health concerns? I think we pretty well summed it up, unless Cece has something else. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Prometheus is our main one, other than the limited report we get from DNA, I mean, uh, from 23andMe. Would that be correct, Cece? Yes, 23andMe still has quite a bit of information. It's just compared to what they used to offer, it's much more limited. So testing there, you'll you'll definitely get interesting information. Uh, it may be that you're not a carrier of any of the things that they test for, which is, you know, great news. It doesn't rule out everything, though. And then I would definitely, if that is what you're interested in, I would utilize Prometheus. And by the way, it's we say it, and it sounds like Prometheus, but it's Prometheus, so it's P-R-O-M-E-T-H-E-A-S-E dot com. Yeah, okay, and it's dot com. Okay, thank you. Thank you for yeah. spelling it as well. You're welcome. Um, that, that would not have been easy one, for me. Well, a lot of people go into type Prometheus, like the Greek, I think it's Greek, Prometheus, um, because of the way we pronounce it. So I just wanted to yeah. clarify. But, yeah, I think that's the best, uh, the best resource for that to just okay. use your raw data and upload it there and then just dig in. You know, it's going to take some work and some research and Googling and seeing uh, what you can pull out of that. There's an awful lot of information in there. But it, as I said, it's going to take some work to, uh, to parse that and see what's relevant and what's important. And it probably One thing you might in. want to note, uh, Don, uh, for your inter- if you have an international audience, you w- might want to note that uh, at least it's my understanding. I don't know because I'm an American, but uh, if you order the 23andMe test from Canada or the United Kingdom, you will actually get quite a bit more in the area of health mm-hmm. reports, and that's because their regulatory bodies have been uh, more lenient than. Uh, the FDA has in the U.S. And even yeah, a U.S. person, 
that's a great that's a great point. Now, so somebody from the U.S. cannot order it from the U.K. or from Canada, but if they live outside of the country, can they? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, <clears throat> that raises a we ha- we did get a question from someone in Australia. Well, actually, not she's in uh, she's not, but. Uh, She's in New Zealand, but I, uh, but she's asking. Her name's Catherine. She said, for adoptees who live in other countries, like Australia, is it worth joining 23andMe or Family Tree DNA or Family Tree DNA's Family Finder program? Are there enough Australians on either of them to make it worthwhile? She said her birth father was apparently Australian, and she doesn't know who he is, but she's thought of maybe doing one of the above programs, but not sure if it's worthwhile. Um so that's, I mean, that's a, a, a valid question as well. Now, but that begs the question. When I gave you the example of John, the uh, adoptee who was going to be on, sharing his story, he actually joined something that allowed other people, for, allowed him to see and find other people. So maybe we should stop right now and talk about. We'll come back to Catherine's question. Let's talk about the. Uh, ability to find birth family members and what these, the three popular programs, most uh, common programs, uh, how they can help you connect with birth family members. Um, Bethany, now is this an area that you can talk to us about? Absolutely, yes. So um, the vast majority of the people that I work with have tested first with ancestry DNA. And when you test with ancestry DNA, you get back, you then become part of their, their online community, you go onto their website, and you get a list of people that are genetic matches to them. So these are people who have a DNA connection to the individual, so for the adoptee. These are relatives of theirs. And they could be close relatives. Um, some people have gotten the jackpot, and you know a birth parent has actually tested, or a half-sibling, but most of the time we find more distant relatives on there, you know, maybe second cousins, third cousins. You had mentioned John had a fourth cousin out in Wales. And at least at Ancestry DNA, what often happens is when people test, they also attach a tree, so their genealogical tree, to their test as well. And then we can take a look at these different matches, you know, a couple of second cousins and a third cousin, and look for individuals, families, that show up in multiple places, and those are DNA connections. Those are family members to the adoptee. Okay, and do all the 23andMe, Ancestry.com, and the Family Finder, um, do they all have online communities that do this? So each one of the, the testing companies will give you a list of matches, and then each one of the companies provides you with slightly different information to go along with it. So at Family Tree DNA, they'll give you a list of the matches, and then if people choose to, they can upload a tree to go along with it. And then at 23andMe, they also provide you a list of matches, but it can be a little bit more difficult at 23andMe because um, people can remain a little bit more anonymous, and so it can be harder to figure out who the people are that you are matching at 23andMe. But each one of the companies provides a way for you to reach out and contact these different matches, your DNA relatives, um, usually through an email system. Richard, if, if uh, which of these would be the best, I guess would be the, that's not, probably not the right adjective, for an adoptee to use if their primary goal is to 
uh, either connect or find out about, find out names of birth family members? Or do they have to join realistically? They each have different people who've tested, so would they almost have to do all three of them? I think those of us who work with adoptees uh, all, all commonly recommend that people get into all three databases. And you, you hit on a reason for it is that many people test in just one. So the more uh, databases you get into, the more different matches you will get, and the more you will increase your chances of finding a close, knowledgeable match that can be the, the breakthrough match that you need. There's, there's a lot of luck involved in all of this. And, and like Bethany said, sometimes an adoptee will get lucky and get uh, a, a birth parent or a half-sibling or an aunt or an uncle or something right off the bat. And other times you're working from, uh, you know, third and fourth cousins. Well, it is, while it's still possible to solve your problems with the third and fourth cousins, it's harder. So you want to exhaust all possibilities of getting a closer match. So we say fish in all the ponds, basically. Get into all three databases. And, and you ask a you, you, perfect segue into the question that I wanted to ask, too, and that is how, not how useful, but how far back, uh, second cousin, third cousin, fourth cousin, or whatever, can you, if you make a connection that's significantly removed, let's say third or fourth cousin, uh, how realistic is it to expect that from that type of connection you're going to be able to identify uh, your birth mother or your birth father? Cece? We say the sweet spot is about second cousin because with your second cousins, you'll share great grandparents and that's not that far back. So then we're building forward from those great, those great grandparents looking at their descendants, trying to see if any of them are in the right place at the right time to fit the circumstances of your adoption and your birth parents. However, that doesn't mean it's impossible using more distant relatives as Richard said Third cousins, uh, very often we use third cousins to identify birth family. Uh, when you start getting out to fourth cousins, fourth to sixth cousins is one of the prediction ranges, it gets much more difficult. So the further out you're getting, the more time, the more work, and the more expertise it's going to take. So for just a, a general regular person who's not a professional at this or not an expert, um, they may be able to do it with second cousins. But when they get out to third cousins or so, either they're, they need to get lucky and connect with someone who knows their family tree very well, like the adoptee you mentioned, who had the fourth exactly. cousin who helped, yeah. or they need to go to one of our forums where we teach people to do this. I have a Facebook page called DNA Detectives, and we have 20,000 people there searching for birth family, and we have experts there that answer questions to guide them, or they need to hire somebody who does this as a profession. And there's not a lot of people doing that, but uh, Bethany does that and a handful of other people. But you just want to make sure that whoever you're working with really knows what they're doing because you can spend thousands of hours trying to resolve this. Good. So you might get lucky, though, too, as, as Richard said, and we are seeing that. We've really hit critical mass for people who have deep, roots in the United States, and we're seeing first cousin matches and closer literally every day now. It's really well, exciting the people, after the work. Yeah, 
the more people yeah. who do the testing, then the better. The, then the so as time goes on, and as the popularity right. increases, assuming it does, then your odds yep. would increase. It seems like, if I'm understanding this correctly. That's exactly right, and that's what we've seen happen. Richard and I were working on this in the early days when success stories were few and far between, and it's been so exciting to see the databases grow and the refining of the methodologies that we use for this type of search. And now, really, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say every single day we're seeing people uh, finding their birth families, getting important information, and in many cases reuniting with birth family members. And you have said that one of the that you have a forum that uh, it's mm-hmm. a Facebook group that people can join and talk with others, uh, amateurs yeah. and probably professionals as well. Um, Bethany, how else? How, how do people know if they all right? They're they're going to take the test. They will usually start with one of them, and then ultimately, uh, according to Richard, will be encouraged to fish in all the ponds, take uh, get get listed on all the databases, all all three of the the predominant databases. So. How do they go about hiring? Let's say they are aware of the fact that they probably are going to need help at that point. How do they know who to hire? Are there credentials that they need to be looking for? How do they go about, Bethany, finding someone who can help them and not be a charlatan and take their money and run? Certainly. Um, at this time, there are not any credentials. Um, there's lots of training. CC is one of the, the preeminent teachers of this methodology to other other professionals. One thing that I do recommend people do is go to the Association of Professional Genealogists website, which is apgen.org, and you have the ability there to search by specialty, and you can select genetic genealogy. And just to be clear, not all genetic genealogists on that website do adoption work. So you'd have to go to their websites and see lots of them do traditional genetic genealogies, trying to figure out, you know, who my fourth great grandfather is or something like that using DNA. But that's a great place to start. Um, if they belong to APG, the Association of Professional Genealogists, um, then they're, they're recognized as professionals. And then you can check out their credentials, see what classes they've taken, what sort of education they've done, um, and, and talk with them. I, you know, I spend a lot of time on the phone with potential clients talking with them and answering questions. And I think you can get a really good feel um, for, for a professional, ask them you know, what sort of successes they've had, if they've had similar cases to yours. All right, now we'll come back to Catherine's. Oh, let me, uh, okay, so the, the primary source for um, summing up what you just said, the primary source would be the Association of Professional Genealogists. Uh, is there any other website, Richard, that you would recommend people go to to find a genealogist that would allow you to search for a genetic genealogist? Because it seems to me that would be crucial at this point if you're asking, because not all genealogists clearly are going to be qualified to help you sort through uh, DNA test results. So is there anything, Richard, other than the Association of of Professional Genealogists? Well, I send people all the time to uh, CC's Facebook group, uh, the DNA Detectives, because uh, not only can they learn things about their uh, they can often find search angels who will help them for free. And if they really need intensive work, uh, I'm sure through that site and through, through CC's uh, other contacts that uh, they can find uh, uh, paid searchers if necessary. All right. Now we'll Let me just add, sorry, no, you have to be very careful because it's not only just a professional genealogist 
you need. As you mentioned, it needs to be someone who specializes in DNA and genetic genealogy. But as Bethany said, not all genetic genealogists specialize in adoption search or unknown parentage search, as we call it, because it's actually much more than just adoption, unknown paternity, donor conception, um, many different types of unknown parentage. And so you do have to do your research. As I said, there aren't very many people who are experts at it yet. But if you do enough Googling and reading, and as Bethany said, if you talk to that person and interview them, you should be able to get a pretty good idea of their level of expertise. Okay, that's and I'm, I'm so glad you're warned, and that's such a good summary, that you really are looking um, for uh, a, a – a highly refined specialist that that can be able to help you. So that's great source. Let me stop for a moment and and tell you about a few more of our gold sponsors uh, through whose generosity this show is brought to you. We have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to adoption and assisted reproductive law. We have Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed and accredited nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They have three adoption programs, a private infant program, international program, and a foster care adoption program. We also have Holt International. They were founded in 1956, and they are a global leader in finding families for children who need them, as well as providing the pre- and post-adoption support they need to thrive. And Adoption Connections. They are a California-based adoption agency working with families throughout the U.S. They were a national pioneer in open adoption and are respected for both their their ethical practices, compassion, and openness to adoptive and birth families of all types. All right, then coming back to this, we know that one of the questions I wonder, all right, so you've got, you're contacting people, maybe fairly far removed, but even, let's say that if we hit the sweet spot and we're in the second cousin range, so you share a great-grandparent, you're asking them questions that usually might be something that is not something that a family would be proud to share. Um, adoptions, not so much, perhaps. Uh, but back in the day, that is something that often was was not was considered a family secret. I'm just wondering, or if it's a dalliance and a, an affair, and and you're trying to find that that uh, the person that the family revered had a child out of wedlock. Um, how cooperative, Richard, are people when you contact them? Uh, second cousin. Third cousin, and you're getting far enough back, they may not care. But second or first cousin, are people willing to share information, or are they trying to protect the family secret, or probably a secret they didn't even know about? Well, I think it's like any human condition. It's uh, there's a broad spectrum of results. Uh, you can get people who are very willing and eager to help, and other people who, uh, like you said, are very. Uh, um, more concerned about uh, protecting their uh, relative from some possible scandal. But uh, what I've tried to tell people is, in most cases, these are adult adoptees searching, and they're from the era of closed adoption. So many of us are 50s, 60s, 70s, some of them even 80 years old. And so their parents, in many cases, are deceased. So that uh, I think there's when that's the case, there's certainly a lot less need to protect somebody than if if somebody's living and you're having them over for Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, 
So that one helps. And also I say that anything that happened, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it's not a scandal. It's just history. And we're all just trying to find the truth. And we're not trying to embarrass anybody, but we're just looking for the true origins of, of, of a human being. And I think if you position it right, uh, you can, most cases, you can get good cooperation from people. Then, then that can be, I? Uh, yeah, please. I just wanted to say we really are seeing a change in attitudes from when Richard and I first started doing this work until now. There's much more openness and many more people willing to help an adoptee search for their roots. So it's been a really positive change. Of course, it's not everybody still, but more and more people are recognizing the importance for somebody to know where they came from, you know, what their story is. That's actually good to hear, um, and I and probably the publicity associated with um, these the three main sites has probably helped that people now are, maybe have more faith uh, in in these test results. Therefore, are more willing, or, and plus they probably heard some of the popular stories, and that maybe is that why you think people are more willing now, Cece? I think it's partly that, and I also think it's that we've been able to get a lot of positive media stories. That's a lot of my focus is getting these stories out in the media, showing people how meaningful it is for adoptees. I think most people don't realize that adoptees have been denied so much of their history, and I certainly didn't realize it. I didn't have any connection to adoption. I'm not part of the triad. I was just a genetic genealogist who started helping people. And I was amazed at how little information most of these people had about themselves. So I think just having um, increased visibility, a lot of the human interest stories where you see an adoptee reuniting with their family and how much it means to them and to the family has changed a lot of those attitudes. And I think in general our society has gotten more open, as you said. It's not as much of a stigma, or as Richard said, as it was you know, 60 years ago. So, Richard, coming back to... Yeah, I hear you. Coming back to Catherine's question, for people outside of the United States, is the have enough people tested that it is worthwhile? Is there enough if they're searching for family members, not necessarily health information, because there's some things they can do. We talked about that um, to get health information. But if they're searching for family members either to reunite with or to get the medical history from, um, is it worth it if they're in Australia or uh, South Africa or Japan or any of those places? That's a very good question because all three of the genetic genealogy testing companies are U.S.-based. Of the three, Family Tree DNA has been selling worldwide for a long time. Uh, The other two are much more recently into uh, other countries and then mostly into uh, like the United Kingdom and, and, a, and a few others in Europe. Uh, I know Family Tree DNA has the most uh, users outside the U.S. Uh, at one time I did hear one source that said that maybe 30% of their database was from outside the U.S., and perhaps CC may have uh, better data on that. But uh, they definitely have a lot of people, particularly in the English-speaking world, which certainly includes Australia and New Zealand. I know there are, uh, just in my own uh, DNA project, uh, we have people from from those countries. So 
I know there's a, a lot of participation there. Obviously, it's less than uh, than in the U.S. Certain areas like uh, Asia, in particular, uh, still very small participation in any of the companies. I think. Well, that brings a question we got from Brooke. She said, "We hear a lot about testing for domestic adult adoptees. What tests are most recommended for international adoptees uh, if they're looking for? Uh, well, she's let's just say for both, for medical history as well as for um, as well as for connecting with family members." Um, Cece, can you talk to that? Uh, for international adoptees, sure. let's say, who are just looking for health information, would it, any of the tests would be adequate for that? Would that not be correct? That's correct. They might be interested in doing 23andMe so they get those nice organized reports uh, in addition to utilizing Prometheus. But any of the companies um, could be useful for that if you're using Prometheus. They test similar markers, though not exactly the same markers. Um, so you might get different results if you test it more than one company. Uh, 23andMe uses a customized chip that is intended to have more medically relevant testing. So this, the SNPs, or the genetic markers that are being tested, they feel are more informative for health. And Ancestry DNA also recently switched to a chip that they felt had more medically relevant markers. And so it might be worth doing more than one. But I want to circle back a little bit to the international question. Um, family tree DNA historically definitely has had more international testers. However, the other two companies are doing much more marketing now, and they are selling in uh, many different countries. And so I'm seeing the international uh, presence in the other two increasing very quickly. I would say... Uh, that 23andMe probably has the most international testers at this point. But we don't want to overpromise what someone's going to find as far as identifying their birth family. Um, it's start starting to happen for certain countries. Uh, the question about the Australian birth father, I would say it's definitely worth testing. Uh, I work with results from quite a few Australians. I also have a great-grandfather from Australia, and I'm seeing lots of um, very quickly increasing database for that. The UK also has been testing pretty extensively, and we've been able to solve quite a few of these cases or identify birth family from there. Um, Ancestry DNA is the last one sort of to the table with this. However, they've spent a lot on marketing, and they have the largest database now. They have over 2.2 million people in their database. So I think it comes back to what Richard said earlier. You really want to fish in all three ponds. And if you're an international adoptee, you're really going to need to try to use all three. Um, you may not find your birth parents, but we're seeing a lot of adoptees connect to each other. A lot of international adoptees had a sibling or a cousin that was adopted to the United States also, and they're connecting in those databases, which can still be really meaningful and exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it's interesting that we often hear that adoptees are probably more interested in meeting, well, that's unfair to say because each adoptee is an individual who have their own, mm -hmm. but often I hear of people who are more interested in connecting with siblings, siblings or even cousins than they are specifically interested in uh, re, re, uh, re, having a reunion with their, um, uh, their birth parents. So you're exactly right. So for an international adoptee, 
uh, comes back to fishing in all ponds, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that's really best. We had an interesting question from Rachel. She said, should parents by adoption test their kids when they are when they are children, when they're young, or should they allow the child to make this decision when they are over 18 if they want the testing or not? Um, I'd like to hear all three of your thoughts on that. It is a one of the things that, that is often talked about in the adoptive parent world is you know, what keeping our children ultimately – our children's stories and our children's information belongs to them, um, but there are certainly advantages to doing things when they're young. But are we being respectful of the people they will uh, they will grow to become? Bethany, let's start with you. I'd like your thoughts on Rachel's question about uh, the pros and cons to parents making the decision to test for their children. Um, personally, I would prefer for the adoptee themselves to make that decision. Um, I feel that the search process, because it is so emotional, um, needs to be undertaken by someone who is emotionally equipped to handle it, and I feel age adds to that ability. So personally, I would prefer that the adoptee be the one to undertake the, the search process. And, um, you know, they could probably do the DNA testing at a younger age. You know, I have tested both of my children who are 9 and 12, but that's because we we know what the history is, and I can I can show them, you know, these are the genes that you got from grandpa, and these are the ones you got from great grandfather and stuff. With with an adoptee, that's not going to be useful at this time. And like I said, I, I don't think personally I would prefer for an adoptee to wait until they were the one undertaking this the search process. Uh, Cece, your thoughts on this? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad this came up, and I'm glad to hear that people are thinking in this direction. And it's going to vary for everyone. As you said, everyone's an individual. Um, I agree with Bethany that I want it to be the adoptee themselves that is expressing interest. I don't think they necessarily need to be 18 to do that, though. I mean, there's all different levels of uh, maturity. You might have a 10-year-old who is really questioning and wants to know about their origins, and I don't think that that should be denied. I think um, it is it helps to foster trust if an adoptive parent is willing to help their child go down that road. And so you might want to just put your toe in, just start with, say, the ethnicity. Um, and some of the companies, you don't have a choice whether you're in that uh, matching system or not. At 23andMe, you can actually opt out of the DNA relatives, so you could take this step by step. You could test and you could get the ancestral origin percentages, find out where their ancestors were from. And that might be enough for somebody who's just starting to investigate this. And then later, you could opt into the DNA relatives where you could start actually connecting with cousins and finding birth family. But I do think that it's something that the adoptee themselves needs to express an interest in, whether they're, you know, nine or whether they're 16 or 25. Um, but we, we very much appreciate and support the idea of adoptive parents being very open with their children about this, and in particular if they're expressing an interest in it. But it's a real ethical question. You know, we, it is their DNA. It's their story. And we definitely don't want to pressure somebody into uh, looking into this if they're not ready yet. So I think parents know their children best, and it's going to have to 
you know, fall to their judgment, whether this is something that can be started early or something that they need to wait on. Well, and just to play a little bit the devil's advocate, because I, truthfully I, I agree with what you're saying, but something that parents have to think about, and this comes up more often in international adoption, and that is is if you don't search, and this is, now we're not talking medical at this point, we're talking about searching mm-hmm. for birth relatives, um, and I, and I quite frankly, I've not seen it come up with genetic genealogy using genetic testing to do this, but but old-fashioned searching uh, for birth relatives. If you don't do it as soon as possible, the trail often grows cold very quickly, and in certainly in certain countries, uh, you uh, where uh, death rates are much higher for for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm you may lose the trail entirely if you don't test. And that's one of the the compounding uh, for parents to think about. Are they precluding their child from ever getting this information if they don't do, te- uh, this in this case is more searching, if they don't search when the children are young. Um, Richard, yes. I'd like to get your thoughts in general on on, on the, the issue of of waiting or, to your children are older or allowing or doing it when making the decision for them when they're young. Well, many great points have already been made, but I think the one thing we haven't touched on is the medical, and that I think that uh, adoptive parents might want to test their children uh, primarily for the medical information because, uh, you know, you don't know what the uh, the medical history is of uh, of the uh, that adopted child's uh, parents and grandparents. So, uh you might indeed want to uh, to get uh, get in early on uh, getting some medical information. Yeah, and that's it. I'm glad you made that distinction because we do have to say what's the purpose. And as Cece pointed out, you don't have to. Uh, well, at least in some of the testings, you can opt out of the uh, actual uh, naming of people. You can just get information. Uh, and, Richard, I'm going to give you the last word here, and I think we need to, at least uh, people may know this, but how, what does it take to do a genetic testing with any of the three major ones, Ancestry.com, 23andMe, and Family Finder? Um, what, what are we talking about? How involved is it to do the test? Well, basically all of the, the companies sell their tests online. So you go to their website, you order the test, they ship the test kit to you. Now, Family Finder, or Family Tree DNA, which makes Family Finder, they use uh, cheek swabs. They're just like little brushes that brush some cheek cells inside your cheeks, and you deposit the tips of those into little vials of preservative. The other two companies use what we call a spit kit, where basically you get a little tube with a funnel, and you you come up with a whole bunch of saliva and uh, and spit it into this tube until you reach uh, enough. And so in all cases, then you send back your sample, uh, which, again, it's either uh, cheek cells or saliva. There's no blood involved. You don't have to prick your fingers or do anything like that. So it's very easy to test. You just follow the directions. You send it back. And then in a number of weeks, typically, uh, you get an email back that says, hey, your results are ready. You log into your particular uh, account at that company, which will be protected by a password, and you go in, and then you can see all of these reports on there. Nobody actually mails you anything. You don't actually get a, 
uh, a report in the mail or anything like that. And it's online, and, and one reason it's online is because it's always changing, uh, like your DNA matches and stuff can change daily. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, that's a very good point. As more, and if somebody new comes online, then you would have that. Yeah, uh, it would be new. Interesting. Well, thank you so much, uh, all of you, uh, Cece Moore, Richard Hill, and Bethany Waterbury, for being on our the Creating a Family show today to talk about genetic testing and genealogy, or the term genetic genealogy. Uh, I know people are going to want to get more information about each of you. To get information about Cece Moore and the DNA Detective, you can go to her website, which is the DNA Detectives. That's plural, Detectives.com. To get information about Richard Hill, you can go to his website, which is DNA Testing Advisor. Dot com, And to get more information about Bethany Waterbury, you can go to her website, which is nextofkinresearch.com. To get uh, Richard Hill's book, Finding Family, My Search for Roots and the Secrets in My DNA, uh, Richard, they could probably get it on your website, but I think it's also available on Amazon. So you can get it either of those places. Thank you all for joining me today, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.